Welcome back to the Field Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Drotz, local extension educator for crops in Stearns, Benton, and Morrison counties. And with me, as always, the guy who brought the cold weather with him, Mike Cruz from Houston and Fillmore County. So how are you doing today, Mike? I'm a little bit chilly, but I'm glad everybody else can join in with me. That's good. Well, getting right into it, with us today here, we are at um, over next to Foley here in Benton County with our next guest is Jake Schur, a retired dairyman out of the out of the area around Foley. Uh, how are you doing today, Jake? Good, good. Adjusting to change. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's good. That's 70 a- degrees to 30 degrees, always interesting. It's a bit of a shift, but welcome to Minnesota, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> well, some of us didn't exactly grow up near Minnesota, so yeah, it's a bit of a shift. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Jake, as we kind of get going here, this is kind of our standard way of starting uh, the first time we introduce a producer. Can you kind of give us a little bit of background about yourself and uh, maybe your operation? Okay. Um, been a lifelong farmer dairy first of all put in 29 years as a dairy farmer Uh, started in 1976 when we put our first crop in and um, we started out milking you know 25 to 30 cows gradually expanded to 40 and uh, as we expanded and bought more farmland and stuff we moved up to 60 and uh, stayed at that level because that's what our family could and my wife and my four daughters could uh, handle as a team. And, you know, that was our kind of our goal to stay uh, at that level from the dairying side. So um, gradually expanded and grew over the years, you know, and and, uh, never had off farm income. So the dairy farm was our main, you know, profit center. So... um, and then did you raise most of the crops then to, to feed the dairy there or like how many acres if you did? Well, that was our goal when we started. We were owned, the original farm was 80 acres, okay. but about 40 acres tillable. Yeah. And we expanded that a little bit, cleaned things up. And then we, we were renting an adjoining farm and another adjoining farm. And our goal was to own enough cropland to support our dairy herds. So we, at present time, we own 280, a little over 280 acres with about 200 acres. 240 acres tillable okay yeah. the 240 tillable okay and did you did you ever meet that goal then did you yep. reach that goal okay yeah, we were self-sufficient for yep. since 91 um i think in that time frame to when we retired in 05 we purchased one semi-load of hay and that was of alfalfa from that time on and that was the only reason we did that is because we had a freeze out yeah. oh sure yep, yep. so and with the acres we had, we always had plenty of feed, could mix and match and pick what we wanted. Yep. And we had haylage, corn silage, and dry hay so we could, you know, uh, use what we got up in the best shape. And then we sold excess hay and corn, too, so we had extra. Okay, so you did so, have some side income then. It wasn't just coming off the milk. It was you right. had some extra stuff coming out of the producing. Okay, yeah, yeah. good. We never fed out steers. We looked at the uh, profitability of it. A yep. uh, little background on that, I was in farm, adult farm business management mm-hmm. through our local advisor here for 20-plus years. Right. And we did uh, extensive business analysis every year mm-hmm. so you could see where the dollars were being made. Right. And uh, we looked at steers and you looked at a dairy cow. And at the time, we were doing comparisons. You could make twelve to $1,400 a cow from the dairy side, and the steer was... 
two, three hundred dollars. So when you look at your labor standpoint, put your labor where the money's at. Right. You know, so. Right. And at that time, we were looking at you know you look. At, it was really a nice analysis because you could tell exactly what it cost you to put uh, a bushel of corn in front of the cows and what you were selling for. The profit margin wasn't in the corn. What really was an eye opener for us is we were putting alfalfa in front of the cows, you know, and we do, did the analysis of haylage. You know, we could put it in front of the cow for $43 a ton. Right. And at the time, you were purchased from 80 to 100 So that was a very nice savings for our, right. for our dairy herd, you know. So yeah. Yeah. those are just the little things, you know, when you're in that year in analysis, you can really pick your business apart and look at what's going on. So how long were you a part of that program, the business management program? 20 plus years. You were 20 plus years in that. Yeah. Did a, an annual analysis yep. and everything? Then that? we had a monthly visit. Okay. Another advisor that was really helpful because you always had a set of eyes. Mm. I want to stress you didn't have to agree with these people, you know, or the pe- person you were working with. And, sure. and you took bits and pieces of the advice you were getting you know, and there isn't a one size fit all so that you're not can't find a person to come out and solve your problems, but you gotta you can pick and choose and make what's gonna work on your own farm. So, right, right. Kinda and, sounds like life if if you know what I mean there. <laughs> <laughs> so but uh and we had a large uh, group of advisors. My dairy my uh veterinary was with us for twenty years, was a, another very trusted advisor sure, which sure. I'd bounce ideas off of yep. or what problems were. Same with our banker and same with our county extension agent who was one of our, you know, really trusted advisors. You know, yep. and, uh, and, uh, and who was that? Dan Martins. Dan Martins. I knew it was going to be Dan. Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. 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 So I, I'm assuming you uh, did some activities with Dan, maybe even hosted some stuff? Uh, he, he did ask me to speak at a couple of, farm, yep. you know, producer panels and stuff. And yep. uh, I don't know. Very nervous about doing stuff like that. I'd never been much of a public speaker, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. So. But. Well, you're doing fantastic here. Uh, I know you uh, you do a few things with uh, Mr. Druitz over here, so I didn't know if uh, he had any follow-up questions, any comments on your two interactions. Well, and I know, you know, we whenever we do stuff like this, it's always uh, it's always fun to come out here and see what you've got going on because you do a very nice job, and I've always been impressed by a lot of your management practices as they set. And so it always feels like I learned something when I come out here. Um, but, you know, one of the things you've, you've talked quite a bit about the history here. Um, can you talk a little bit more about uh, the current practices and, and what you're currently looking at doing right now as, as it sets? Okay. Um, well, we sold the dairy herd in 05, the milking part of it. And we went into cooperatives working together the, where they had the buyout and you didn't have to, you could go right back into milking with your heifers. So we sold the dairy herd and we had 70 heifers on the place and we could have went back in this next year and been right back to full steam, but we just kind of eased into it. You know, it's a big shock selling the dairy herd. So the dairy cows, we milked them in the morning, loaded them up and they were gone. You know, didn't spend a lot of time, you know, we didn't have a sale, which I kind of I'm happy about because there's a lot of prep that goes in getting things ready to go. We got the price we wanted, and then the dairy cows milked them. They're on a truck and they're gone. And that day when you walk in the barn, it's it's quiet and it's really weird, you know. But next morning I woke up and I went out and did heifer chores. You had baby calves and heifers to feed and stuff. And I come back in the house for breakfast. This is this isn't too bad, you know. That my I was ready for the change. So. But not too much, you know. So right. 
So the biggest struggle I had selling dairy herd was for the first two years that you should be doing something, you know, being busy all the time. Right. So I worked part-time, you know, for a farmer up the road. So he sit on a tractor and I did that for a couple of years until kind of got that out of my system and kind of got tired of being sitting in a tractor for 16 hours and then going to the chiropractor, your neck straightened out. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of cured myself. Yeah. You know, so, and then we sold heifers as springers as they came up, you know, we had 70 of them. So by year two, we were then moving into where we'd have about a hundred steers on feed all the time. Sure. And raising steers is a total different challenge. When we were a closed herd, we didn't have near as the disease and pneumonias and stuff. When you start buying cattle from all over, we had a learning curve that was really painful. Mm-hmm. But where we got went with that is we found value in buying large groups of steers from one producer that would come into the sale barn like these hundred these big dairies thousand cow dairies would bring in a hundred Holstein steers all the same size you get 30 of them out of there bring them into your barn and they didn't have to get acquainted they didn't have to share all their diseases and you know it just seemed like we had a way less problem that was the route we got into so that was a learning curve you couldn't just buy five here, ten here. Right. right. And you just always had something bug floating around, you know, just so. So going to steers, learning how and learning how to feed them to find the right. I always played with the ration and dairy herd, and so I played with the right mix for my steers to get them to be at the optimum performance and went to Dan. Looked up some stuff that was in the 70s, you know, when they talked about, you know, just rolling corn versus whole corn and sure. what's the most efficient, you know, and we got it, you know, we kept playing with, so we had about a 30% cracked corn, hmm. uh, 60% whole corn ration. And that really seemed to work good. Had herd health, good feet and legs, and uh, steers really perform, perform well. We take a 300 pound steer and we turn them in about 11 months. The last ones would be 12 months. So it was, sure. we were getting, you know, three pounds plus a day, you know, yeah. gain. Yeah. So we were hitting our numbers, and it was interesting. It was fun. Went through some of the really high prices, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Got stuck with a lot of high-priced animals when the price crashed, yep. and you were, you know, barely breaking even. But sure. overall, you know, it was a nice paycheck, you know. Mm. You know, so eased into that. So I think two years January, the last the steers left. And... Um, I always had some back issues, and I was due to, I needed some back surgery, so it was a nice time to get out of steers. I had surgery, was off for six weeks, didn't have to hire anybody to take care of your steers or anything. And we kind of had a year transition where, well, do we want to buy them back or do you want to? And so we just stayed in the crop side of it. And profitability-wise, it's been real good for us. I might add, when the dairy cows left, we were debt-free. So we've never had any long-term debt. We have short. We had short-term debt, just like you know, if you see something you need it today, you buy it, and you pay it off in sure, twelve sure. months. It yeah. was so. You, you, I'd say, when I say debt-free, I have no long-term obligations. No long-term obligations. Yep. Which has been really nice. You know, yeah. you don't, you're not chasing your tail, yeah. and and there's not the stress that oh, I gotta get this done, gotta yeah. make payments. You know, so yeah. so the dairy cows have been was one thing I can really say about is they were very very good to us. Right. So, right. Now, you spoke a little bit about that whole shift from going from dairy out of dairy and how that first day walking into the barn, 
It's mm-hmm. quiet. It's kind of strange. But that second day, you started feeling okay with it. Yep. You know, never look back. Yeah, it's it's interesting because that's not how everybody runs into it. Some people do, some people don't. I was wondering if you had any more support pieces that were there for you to kind of help with that transition. Like, I'm very curious how that was as easy as it was for you because I've heard some other stories where they weren't quite ready for it and it had a more negative effect on their just general life. What I miss the most was the people. Uh, your milkman, yep. your your supply for milk house equipment, your nutritionists were out there on a biweekly basis. You know, people were coming in and out of the yard where all of a sudden nobody's coming to see me. And yeah. It was just like you were cut off from that social side of it, like right, right now. Yeah. And so that was an adjustment, you know. So instead of bi-weekly, you'd see your feed man for steers 30, 60 days, you know, sure. once in a while. Sometimes he'd miss you because you're going a lot. Right. We had a lot. I had a lot of activities that I always wanted to do. And I had a core group of friends that we did, you know, fishing and stuff with. So I feel sure. some of the void. And when I sold a dairy herd and my friends were retired, we had a goal that we would spend one week friday or monday to a friday going fishing somewhere throughout the summer if we would go to the missouri river gotcha for that time in june yep come back work for three weeks and then we go to lake of the woods or we go to devil's lake yep you know so we did we had another set of group uh, another set of activities you know and i've always had a group that i've hunted with for 40 plus years that would spend nine days every fall up north away from the dairy herd and that's some of the same people so you worked hard at working on the farm but i also had a group of people that had cultivated a relationships over the years so i had other things i could do you know right. so right so i wasn't totally you know there by myself you know so right and how did um how did the rest of your family take it you know, you spoke about your experience. I'm just kind of curious. How... We had one daughter left at home. Yep. And she was still helping on the farm uh, feeding. And when the cows left, it was a funny comment. She said, the gravy train is gone. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the girls, you know, are, are, are four girls, three of them all milk cows. Sure. But they started feeding calves and then they'd work up to feeding cows. And then about 15 or so, they'd start milking cows. Sure. And uh, when they were 16 and got their driver's license, we bought them a car and we paid for their gas and their insurance. And that was part of their incentive. So each one of them got a car and, you know, they got spending money on the side, you know. Yeah. And, you know, that was a stipulation. They'd be there for chores once a day or, you know, they'd split shift. Sure, you know? sure. So, yeah. So, so the rest of the family, I had one daughter left and she went out and started working off the farm, you know. So, yeah. and, so it wasn't really my... and. Uh, we transitioned in. My wife started working part-time two years before we sold the cows. Gotcha. Three days a week. And yeah. she continued that for two or three years. Mm-hmm. And honest to say, I liked that better than her working full-time now because we had a grandchild born and we would take her one day a week on Fridays. And when she was an infant, and that was my day, I cleared that day and we'd just go and do nothing. Do whatever. Or sit exactly. around the house. Yeah. Or we'd go to the lake or she was yep. our, she was our little bum buddy yeah you know, so. yeah that's awesome and, and we didn't and her working full time now we don't didn't have that option yeah but an opportunity came along so she took it you know and, yeah. and then this health care issue is came 
uh, in healthcare insurance has come up. Yes. Where you have to have, you know, a good off-farm insurance program. Yeah. So yeah. the farm still pays my insurance, but I pay it through her, you know, I oh. just pay her through the work, you know. Sure. So her work is, and we always keep the, her work and the business separate. So gotcha. whatever's here on the farm is farm produced yep. and far, off-farm is her income to do what she wants with it. And we've kept two separate, you know, identities with that so. sure and so then what does the farm actually look like today like what exactly are you producing and working with we've been in a corn soybean rotation now for i'd say close to 15 years and uh, we have 135 acres of each and just flip-flop each year have a little 20 acres of hay and little different pieces and i make that for horse hay and nuts and sell that locally and that's that's a nice little cash crop you know by itself you know and, and uh, so right now today that's just our main bread and butters you know yeah. i'm busy a month in the spring and a month in the fall so i can go we can come and go we can spend our weekends you know up at the lake we've got a, a seasonal lot with a trailer on it we can go up and spend and that's mainly for grandkids and family can come and go and so I, we try to transition where we work five days a week and our weekends are so are for us. When she's off, I'm expected to be off too. But yeah. in that frame, though, a month in the spring and a month in the fall, when it's go time, the old farmer kicks in to me. The old farmer kicks in, yep. <laughs> Seven days a week, you go till you're done. That's right. That's right. Mother Nature doesn't ever ask for any leniency, so you got to make take advantages. So, so she'll be, she, my wife can go to the lake and, be by herself and their kids can come and if i'm working i'm working and that's the way it's always been you know so yeah yeah exactly so nathan what kind of things have you got yourself caught up with you know with this gentleman helping him out with mostly it's just scouting at this point um i mean we've been out we've looked at some white mold issues we've looked at your weeds particularly uh bear damage that's (laughs) uh that's always a fun one (laughs) bears um i'm from southern minnesota what's going on with bears No, actually, that was that was pretty much the first thing I said. You said, "Well, I've got this bear damage. You would go see it." And I'm like, "Sure, this has yeah." I never would have thought of that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting bears. Yeah. Well, tell tell me a little bit about the bear damage. What what's going on there? Well, we've always had a little bear damage where you combine a forty acre field and you'd find four, five, six rings. Well, then you start getting. 25 rings in a 40-acre field, and then you get more than that. So you're losing, you know, two, three acres of it. And, you know, there's huge spots the size of my house, 60-foot circles that are gone. And uh, so... Okay, so bear damage looks like circles. I have not scouted bear yes. damage before. Okay. Bear, bear damage and coon damage are two different things. Yes. Coons looks like a bomb went off. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I know that one. When a bear sits down, it looks like a teepee. He sits down and just keeps piling the corn up. So you got a teepee of gotcha. stock sitting there. And they're a pain when you hit them with a chisel plow. They plug everything <laughs> up. Plus, they yield robbing and stuff. So a couple of years ago, we declared war on these bears. And I talked to the DNR officer, you know, the area wildlife manager, and found out that in Minnesota, if you've got a animal predating on your crops, you sure. can shoot them. Okay. Well, how does this work? <laughs> <laughs> and he told me, he says, well, you shoot the bear, and you call your DNR officer, and he'll come out and he'll pick it up. So 
first night I walked out there, I was walking along the edge, sun was going down, and bear steps out, and I go, that's a bear. <laughs> <laughs> I pulled up and plugged him. So I call a DNR officer up and get the lady on the answers the phone. Yeah. I said, I shot a bear. I went to DNR. You what? Because <laughs> they weren't ready to handle this either. Right. So, right. But, you know, the first year I got two bear out of the deal, you know. Yep. Missed a couple. We figured we had seven or eight bear in an 80-acre field, you know. And so that there was a lot of them out there. Yeah. Yeah. Last year we didn't get any. Uh, there's another program uh, you can get nuisance hunters licensed. Like, and all my neighbors heard about this, and you know, I had three, four guys. Hey, I'd like to get in hey, on I'd it. Like to- <laughs> so we got some nuisance permits last year, and they were hunting these bear on the edge of my field. So we sure. we wounded one, but we didn't get them. Got know? it. And bear, if you start hunting them, they disappear. Yeah. Know? So, and they're yeah. mostly nocturnal anyway. So sure. But yeah. we had, I suppose, you know. Not quite as much damage as the year before, but we had, you know, a 56-acre field. I suppose they had two acres gone again, you know, yeah. right in the center. You know, yeah. you know, they go out there and they sit down and you got these big circles that are gone. So Yeah, yeah. And it's an ongoing thing. And it has more to do with uh, when there's not an acorn crop or there's other food out there in the last couple of years, according to our wildlife, area wildlife manager, there hasn't been a good food crop. And that's when the bear, but once they get a taste of corn and they feed their cubs then the cubs get used to eating corn right. and they got get it. into it. So Got it, got it. So so outside of bear, um, what are some of the other issues that you kind of commonly see on your on your fields and, and your farm? Do you have any typical weeds that you're battling with, anything like that? Uh, yeah, that's a moving target. You yeah. Know, you fix one problem, you get another one. You get another one, yeah. We've gotten really good, you know, Roundup over the years, cleaning the fields up. They look really good. Um and water hemp started showing up here five, six years ago. Something like that, probably, yeah. I went to a field day at our local co-op. I came home, and, and they showed me, this is going to be bad. And they were, right. show, they were holding water. Never seen it before. So yeah. I went out and started walking or riding around the fields, and I spotted one. Out in the middle of no man's land, just one stock. Sure. And the way it gets uh, started is uh, birds carried around or mm-hmm. So I pulled it out, didn't know what it was, you know, I thought it was what I called Dan Martins. He come out and we looked at it, yep, and then water hemp, you know. So so we, that was the only one I found that year. Gotcha. The next year you find a couple more, and usually along fence lines. Yeah. And I've been in the eradication ever since it showed up. I walk and I pull and bag and burn it or throw it, just get rid of it. Yeah. And I've done that ever since, and we've stayed with our current two-pass roundup program yep kept the costs down when i look at the cost trying to control this stuff it just would you know i'm not going to spend that much kind of money on this program right. and it's right. not working anyway yeah so yeah so it gets a little worse every year yeah neighbors around weren't controlling it which is the biggest factor i was getting in outside 20 rows on sure. my fields yep so and uh you know you can't go and pull your neighbor's stuff and so that that was the biggest culprit sure and, and birds you know if you walk it and then i walk all my fence lines wherever they sit on the fence line they poop and there's yep. there you got water hemp 
So yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. 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 For those for those of you listening to the podcast, if you don't know, water hemp has a very small seed and it produces a lot of them. If you were to ever walk through, you know, a a group of water hemp plants, you would get all of these seeds just tucked into every little crevice on your pants, every little fold, every little pocket. It it just fills it. So it's very easy to move this seed from one site to another. Uh, Mr. Druitz, I don't know if you've got any follow-up questions, anything else that you that you want to chat about? Not really. I mean, we could go back to bears for a couple seconds because I remember that first year I came out here uh, was my first year with an extension, and you showed me that one drone footage that you took of the oh, bear yeah. damage. I, you probably had, what, it was close to 15 acres or so that they had hit, wasn't it? Yeah. 10 to 15, somewhere in there? That was an 80-acre field, and we figured we lost... Um, three four acres out of it yeah and and so i remember we we walked into that one uh circle and you know one of the coolest things probably not cool but something similar to that is where they take the cob and they eat it just like you know, sweet humans. corn yeah just like we would eat sweet corn and and so you know your coon will leave behind stretches of seed left on the, the cob and deer they'll take the plant off they'll leave that behind the bears they'll clean that thing out it is just incredible to see but but yeah, and then you know, getting onto the the weed management side of things, I remember you you know we we walked out there, and and of course you deal with white mold, and one of the things that we talked about was weed control because you've got that, and of course anytime I hear of a single pass system, you know when it comes to herbicides, I clench up, and mm-hmm. it's you know every everything in my brain saying oh that's not good, but then of course you go you do spend the extra time to go out there and hand pull, which is honestly probably one of the better things that we could and you probably should be doing in a lot of these cases because it means that you know you spend less time trying to hand pull later when we do have where you know whereas other growers tend to have more issues with you know you oh you left the one or two out there and then suddenly you get that huge patch and well at that point then it, it takes a lot of time and effort to get that out but yeah no i just those both of those scenarios that's always uh it's always fun coming out here and seeing both of those and and you know how that plays out we have uh added uh atrazine to our pre-plant corn because uh, you can't find them in the cornfield and so we're an atrazine will kill water hemp so we've added uh into a we use a sure start yeah. with a spike it with atrazine which helps i don't know if it's a sheer cure or not but you know it only takes one plant to make a mess you know? oh yeah well and you know well we've we've watched your fields enough times to know you know what's out there and you know, mm-hmm. so far it seems like it's it's definitely sticking. It's it's definitely working at this point. I know, you know, you've got weeds that pop up here and there, but for the most part, by the time you're you're getting to that point, you know, the weeds aren't the weeds weeds aren't there. So right, it's yeah. always seem to be some pretty some of the cleanest fields I see definitely. Yeah, the yeah, so that's our approach. And our field agronomist from our local co-op we talked about and he suggested putting that in with our mix you know trying to give it the ban when it started showing up we were using two pass roundup you know get them when the weeds are two inches tall sure yeah and we were down to 24 ounces because we were didn't really need to hit we were getting nice clean fields so when i started seeing this uh water hemp show up i went to the full rate quart to the acre mm-hmm. and that's where we go is two passes a quart each time and uh, gotcha. so and it's been pretty good. So, and. All right. Well, I'd like to thank uh, Jake here for joining us on our podcast here today. If you'd like to learn more, please go to z.umn.edu. 
and look at our crop production page there as well as our livestock page for more information as well as if you'd like to contact your local extension educator there is a link there as well that you can find all of our contact information including mike and my own or both of our contacts there as well 